This is Do School Better, a podcast for people who want to transform education. My name is Doris Corda, and for the past several years, I've been training educators. Listen to these episodes and hear about some of the extraordinary programs they've created. We call these pioneers the fire starters. See if you can get some ideas that you can implement yourself to change your own practice. In this episode, Doris speaks with Ben Leslie Bowl, environmental science educator at Athenian School, an experiential college preparatory school in the San Francisco Bay Area. Thanks for talking to me, Ben. I'm very excited to talk to you. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? I'd be happy to, Doris. Um, So I'm a geologist by training and had a 30-year career as an environmental consultant. And I realized that one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to teach high school. So uh, last year, I retired from environmental consulting and uh, picked up a new career of teaching high school students. Um, I have just finished my first semester uh, as a teacher, and I was fortunate enough to start working at an independent school here in the San Francisco Bay Area um, that uh, has been enthusiastic, enthusiastically embracing experiential education. That's so exciting. And so why did you come to the workshop? Well, I, I was in the middle of the transition from my old career to the new career, and I really wanted something that would get me thinking along the lines of experiential education and uh, update my thinking about teaching. Um, I attended the workshop because it looked like an exciting opportunity to incorporate something new and a little, a little edgy, perhaps, into experiential education. And um, I was certainly stimulated by attending the workshop. That's great. Well, and you were taking on being a high school teacher. Uh, so, yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. So coming out of the workshop, you've had a year now of, uh, of doing these courses. Tell us about tell us about what you did this past year, what you taught. I, I taught two classes um, in which I used what I learned from the workshop. The first is a class called California Water. It was a team taught class with two other teachers. Uh, we had a photography component, a literature component, and a science component. I'm the science teacher. Um, and the class looked at all issues around water in California, uh, especially interesting this year with a, with a record-setting wet year on the tale of a record-setting four years of drought. So, oh, my gosh, uh, yeah. interesting time. How many kids, how many students, what age? Mm. The California water class was all seniors. We had six students this year, so a very small class, uh, and it provided some really wonderful one-on-one time to explore different ways of teaching and different ways of learning. Well, and it's a great it's a great thing with a pilot, right, to have your pilot year to have a smaller group that you can work with. It was fortuitous to have a small group. It happened to be the second year of offering the class, so it was in some ways both piloting, piloting the class and piloting the teaching methodology. Yeah. So those two pieces work together well. That's wonderful. And what was the other class? The other class is a class that's been offered at the school for a number of years. It's an environmental science class. Um, and I stepped in as a substitute teacher uh, when the teacher who was there um, uh, had to leave uh, for medical reasons. And as a result, I had a, a new class for me uh, of all seniors and most of the spring semester in which to work with them around uh, the projects and using some of the methodologies that I learned from the workshop. 
can you talk about that class and, and what you wanted the students to learn? What were the objectives and how you set it up and what happened? I went into that class with the idea of making the entire class a project. Um, so rather than conventional lecture time, classroom time, um, and that kind of thing, I started right in the beginning uh, using uh, the concept of experiential education and field trips and outside work and outside resources. So I told them right from the beginning that they were going to learn two things. One of them was the natural history of the campus and the area surrounding the campus. And the second thing was to learn effective presentation skills. And they were a little reluctant at the beginning, but I think I had a lot of passion for both of those components. And I think it motivated them. And I saw amazing growth and enthusiasm and a wonderful sense of rapport and ultimately a group project that really brought the class together well. Wow. So what were they actually working on? What were they tasked with? They were tasked with developing uh, components, actually individual pages for a guidebook to the natural history of the campus. Our campus is, is located at the foot of Mount Diablo. Um, it's a beautiful campus again, uh, adjacent to a beautiful state park. Uh, and we had the resources of the park and the campus to draw from. Um, they put together, each of them had an assignment to prepare a page for several different species of birds, several different species of trees, in addition to the different habitats present both on campus um, and in the Mount Diablo area. And they studied each of those components, each of those species, and made a two-minute presentation every day on what they learned the day before. Oh, interesting. You said you were amazed by the growth. What, what made them care about doing it? And uh, well, let me start with that. Why did they care about what they were doing? I think there are two reasons that they cared about what they were doing. The first reason was that they took the class around environmental science to learn something about the natural world, the environment that they, that they live in. So there was a, there was an inherent level of interest, I think, in the topic to start with. When I introduced the notion of a guidebook, I think what sparked them was the idea of actually leaving a legacy. They're seniors, they're about to graduate, and I think they had enthusiasm for their campus and their broader community, and they wanted to leave a record. They wanted to leave a, a, a tool, uh, something that they can give back to the community and to the school, and they were really excited about leaving a guidebook that would help others after them understand what grows on campus, what animals are on campus, what trees, what grasses, what habitats. Yeah, so it was something that would actually be a real used leave behind by others. So you said that you brought in other people and other resources. How did you do that? I contacted uh, the, the park service, the state park system, and their uh, docent program uh, and was able to arrange a number of docents from the park to either join us on field trips uh, within the park or to come onto campus um, uh, with their insights and their knowledge to help us learn more about what was going on around us. I also drew from a local wildlife museum who brought, uh, who had docents that brought in live animals, for example, um, wow. and, and gave the students a, clan, a chance to actually see 
the, some of the creatures that 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 live in the environment around them. Wow, that's that's crazy. That you you are teaching in a magical place and at a magical school that you can do these things. We <laughs> most most people can't. That's terrific. So wait, what about the other class? I I'd love to hear more about that one as well. I, I want to respond to what you just said oh, though yeah. because. Uh, we did not pay for any of the resources that ah. either met with us or that we went to. It was all volunteers, and they were more than enthusiastic to bring what they had to us and for us to join them. So other than physically moving our students right. to, the, to the trip locations, which was fairly minor – um, we didn't incur cost. For, That's awesome. For well, let's work. then let's talk about this a little more because one of the things uh, that a lot of teachers coming into these, you know, whether it's a workshop or anything else we do that they're worried about is how are they going to get uh, people from outside the school to volunteer time w- for their classes and their students? And I, what you just said is what every teacher I've worked with has discovered. You send an email to somebody. Uh, in a business or the park service or whomever, and they're so excited to be helpful in an educational experience where the students they're working with actually care about their work. So, so you experienced that as well. You know what I found that it's the same thing, Doris. Is that is that if you go to somebody, especially somebody who provides information to the general public, such as a park or or wildlife museum or something like that. They are really excited about having somebody take interest in what they're doing, and it gives them reason to do what they do, to be able to share what they know and to share it with a class in an educational setting that is doing something a little bit different. There were so many people who said, what you guys are doing is really cool. Your students are so lucky. It's really great that you're getting out. It's really great that you're bringing the students here. They were all, to a person, really enthusiastic about being able to share and being able to do what they did. So it was certainly a collaborative uh, a collaborative experience, and they brought a lot of their energy and knowledge to, to make this meaningful. And how did that enhance um the students like what 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 was the impact on the students of having these other people not just you as a teacher uh involved in what they were doing i think there are two pieces to that one of them is that seeing somebody with passion is motivating to a student whether it's my passion or the passion of the outside resources just encountering passion i think is is something that kind of wakes up the students and and brings them into a little bit into more greater presence i think the other thing is that somebody who is outside the classroom is less familiar and for most students um, that instills a bit more respect and a bit more patience and a bit more desire to engage and perhaps even desire to please that person that they don't know very well. And it puts learning in a slightly different context. I think kids pay attention a little bit more. I think they're a little bit more serious and I think they're a little bit more interested in what's been put in front of them when it's a new person. Yeah. Now I think this is where you're having taught one year is kind of interesting. I've been, I've been teaching 21 years and I would say that that actually what I've experienced um, in my own classes and in the class of teachers I've worked with is the, that the fact that there are real people with real jobs outside of school uh, engaging in this work and passionate about science or the environment or what, or animals or whatever it is that they're working on in the classroom um, makes the learning so much more relevant and meaningful to the students. Um, and when you've been teaching for 10 years, not one year, 
um, you will become, I hate to say it, uh, kind of, oh yeah, you're just the teacher. And maybe not, but I think the fact that there's somebody else other than the teacher who's steeped in the subject uh, as their life's work, I've seen that students react really powerfully to that. I think it's a big deal. And, and, you know, it may be, Doris, that I came from uh, 30 years of doing something other than teaching that puts me in a little bit of a different position. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm betting that so. That way as well. I'm betting so. That's what I'm betting. <laughs> I bet that's true. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so tell me now about the other class. So I, I just told you about the environmental science class and the California water uh, is a is a class that has now been offered for two years. Um, all the students are seniors. We had six students this year. And the purpose of the class was to look at water from its origin in the Sierras to its meeting the ocean and all the things that happens to water in between. And we looked at uh, everything from uh, measuring snow thickness in the Sierras with avalanche probes and calculating how much water sits in a watershed um, all the way to generating electricity with hydropower, to fish hatcheries, to dams, to how water is managed, to the California and the federal state water project, the, the federal and state water projects that, that allocate water from the rainy spots in the north to where the water is needed in the south. We wow. talked to farmers. We talked to fish hatchery folks. We talked to many people around the every many different sides of water in California. And we used a lot of field time and a lot of outside resources. Again, people who were passionate about what they're doing, who are committed to what they're doing, and people who brought some really different perspectives on how, how California uses and manages its water. Wow, that sounds amazing. Did you now? Did you do anything? Did they have a task with a deadline? What were they tasked with? One of the things that we did was set up rain gauges on campus, and we measured over a couple months of the wet spring that we had, we measured rainfall and we calculated how much water in terms of gallons actually falls on the property that, that the school operates for, actually falls on campus. Um, and we built on that to use that, number one, as a way of sort of gauging what does it mean when you get an inch of rain? What does it mean when you get 30 inches of rain a year? What does that look like? And then to the question of, well, does this become a resource that the school could use? Is there a way that rather than letting this water run down through the ditch and down the stream, is there a way that the school could use this water? And, and if so, what would it take to make it useful? So that triggered an exploration into some very real considerations of what happens on campus. We looked at how much water the campus buys every year. We looked at when during a 12-month period the water usage peaks and when during the 12-month period the precipitation peaks. And as you can imagine, in water-thirsty, hot, dry California, um, water precipitation, water falling, on us peaks in the January, February, March timeframe and water usage peaks in the July, August, September, October timeframe. And so that there's a little disharmony between when it's available and and when it's, when it's needed. We looked at how much of our total water usage goes to irrigation versus domestic consumption. And they learned a lot about, about the, you know, the balance there and where, where water saving measures really make a difference. But then I put to them this question and I worked with our, our uh, CFO, our financial manager 
of the school to come up with this question and this problem for them to solve. And the problem that I asked them to solve was this. Knowing how much water falls on campus in a typical year and knowing how much water the campus uses in a typical year, I asked them to figure out whether it would be cost-effective and meaningful for the school to find a way of retaining water on campus to meet its annual water needs. As it turns out, a lot more water falls on campus than we need in the year, so having enough was not part of the problem. The problem was figuring out how to do it and does it make sense. So what I asked them to conduct essentially was a feasibility study, and the feasibility study would be presented to the CFO and a couple other members of the school community uh, as a way of determining whether or not there was a feasible and viable way to retain water on campus. And the kids were really excited about it. That's awesome because they were working on something that was completely meaningful and they had a deadline where they were going to present to somebody real who was actually going to decide whether to do their proposal or not. How cool is that? I think it worked really well. And I think that because the CFO was not part of the faculty, she was removed and and I think they revered her a little bit. I think it added to the importance of the assignment that they had. Um, we had a couple other teachers uh, come in to be part of both the, the, the evaluation process and then the presentation process. So uh, there were enough outside faces that it gave what it gave the work that they were doing some credibility and some gravitas. Um, and one of the other things that motivated them was they realized how much water is used to put on the ground to grow plants after having been treated to drinking water standards and how little water actually goes into domestic consumption. So they were very concerned about the fact that we treat a whole lot of water in California to drinking water standards and then we put it on the ground. So they were motivated to find some way to avoid that, that, that perpetuating that problem. Oh my gosh. So, so did the students work on teams for this or did they work alone? How did, how did that look? Uh, the students worked in teams, and there are six students, and so I split them into two teams. And I worked with each of them to come up with their concept for what they would evaluate in this feasibility analysis. Uh, I worked with them about different methods of retaining water and different costing structures around how to retain water. And basically, it boiled down to one team chose to look at building big tanks concrete tanks to hold water and the other team looked at building a reservoir and so we looked at how much does it cost to to do earthwork to build a dam how much does it cost to build a concrete tank how much does it cost to capture the water where are you going to capture it and then build that into a financial model that basically answered the question of whether or not it's feasible and ultimately the, the feasibility was compared to what we actually pay for water in a given year and so they sort of had that in the background as the as the guidepost against which they were evaluating the feasibility. Wow. So interestingly, what they added to this was once they got to the financial analysis, they started looking at a lot of other um, what might be considered secondary considerations like environmental impact, how the neighbors view it, how long does it take to do the construction. And they were able at the end to come up with a thorough evaluation and a recommendation for what to do next. Oh, my gosh. And so how did the presentations go, the solutions? This was really interesting. Both teams were really committed to their evaluations and really committed to some of the conclusions that they made. As it turns out, 
um, the cost of retaining water on campus far exceeds the cost of paying for water every year to the point where um, they were almost a little bit horrified. And it touched on one of the other lessons that I wanted them to learn, which about Cal- about water in California is that we don't pay for water what it is really worth to us. Um, water is undervalued. And they learned that. They learned that. Oh, my gosh. You know, as a, as a really bright lesson. Um, through this exercise, they discovered that this, the cost of retaining water far exceeds the cost of paying for it. And so their recommendation became not about ways to save water, not ways to retain water on site, but their recommendations then evolved into how do we reduce the amount of water that we need for the non-domestic purposes? How do we get around this problem of treating all this beautiful water out of the Sierras to drinking water standards and then pouring it on the ground? So that's where their focus shifted to. Oh my gosh, that's really interesting. Having said that, the big takeaway lesson for these guys was that they didn't practice enough and they didn't dig deeply enough into the issues to be able to answer some of the questions that were posed to them during the presentation. And so the lesson, an, another sort of a secondary lesson that they learned in there was, hmm, we actually didn't think broadly enough about the implications or the details to be able to really answer these questions. And so in their, to, for lack of a better word, lack of success, you know, right. in, in the portions that they feel like didn't go that well, it was a very powerful teaching tool. So here are these students who come into this class, and I imagine based on what the class is and that they're seniors and it's an elective and it's a science class, that these are probably students who perform very well in traditional classes. Is that right? Yeah, they were, they were, you know, high performing students. They're bright kids. They're really interested in what they were learning. And uh, it may have been the first time for most of them that they stepped out of the conventional classroom structure to learn something and to solve a problem in a way that they had never been faced with before. And they had to do a lot of different things that aren't traditional in a science course. You didn't lecture, give tests. So coming out of it, um, what what are the kinds of things your students learned? What did you What do you think they got out of this experience? I, you know, I would I would just broadly say there's three things that they learned. Um, one of them is they learned more about giving presentations. So that was a skill I think that carries with them for the rest of their lives and I think will make a big difference in college. So I think that's important. Um, I think they learned um, how important it is to solve real world problems. And I know a couple of the students are interested in solving real world problems, either in medicine or, or engineering. So um, I know that that is, that's going to stay with them. And I think the other thing was that none of them came into the class thinking about the value of water or how important water is to us. So many of us just have water every time we need to turn on, we need it, we turn on the tap and there it is. And I think the big, really powerful takeaway message here was, wow, how we use water really does make a difference. And it's not the way we thought it was going to make a difference. It's, it's, you know, it's not in whether I drink eight cups of water a day or whether I have a waterless toilet. It's really more about the bigger picture of how we use the resource of water and how we use it to keep our desert, basically our desert area community green. And how powerful that they learned that. And I can't imagine 
that any, no matter how fabulous a lecturer you may be, or no matter what brilliantly written articles you would find for them, that they could ever have gotten that out of a traditional kind of class, lecture-based class, uh, the way they did with what you described, which is a really, really interesting and brilliantly set up problem that they had to grapple with and how interesting that they ended up in very different places than they expected. They did. And you're right. I could have told them that water's undervalued and they would have said, uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the end of it. Yeah, but they discovered it themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, as, they as, discovered it themselves. So as you think about teaching this again, as you go into your second year of teaching, the all these methods that you used in this whole approach, are you going to continue with this kind of approach? And why? I absolutely am going to continue it. Um, I think this is a great learning year. It's a great practice year to understand what's effective and what's not effective. Um, I think the power of learning through self-motivated, solving problems for outside, unfamiliar parties and doing it in a, in a compressed time frame is a powerful combination. And I'm going to look for other ways uh, of applying that same approach um, throughout the class, particularly throughout the water class, um, to find different ways of solving problems and different types of problems to solve. That's awesome. So they will have a deadline where they're presenting the their solution to a problem to somebody real. And what about having them work on teams? What, was that useful? I think working on teams was really useful. And the reason I say that is that, number one, they each brought different skill sets to the team. And number two, it was very easy for uh, some of the folks to believe that their ideas were the best ones and that they should stand. And I think having other voices brought different perspectives and asked questions in a way that allowed them to think together. And in many cases, several several cases for both teams – I watched them go through the process of chasing uh, a, a strong voice, um, chasing a solution proposed by a strong voice and discovering hmm, that one maybe it wasn't the best one to yeah. pursue yeah. Uh, and, co and coming back to the beginning and, and sort of talking more collaboratively about how they're going to expend their resources in a limited amount of time. Yeah, which is a, an amazingly uh, important kind of learning how to collaborate well and not necessarily get everything you want your way, especially with uh, what sounds like some pretty strong student, academically strong students who can often come in thinking they, they know what's best. And what about, you know, when you talk about they learned presenting, can you talk a little more about that? Because how, how did they start? Talk a little bit about why you think learning to present beyond the fact that, you know, you're going to present in your life. Um, why, why is that? Why, why are you glad they learned to, to present? Why was that worth it? You know, here's what to, to answer your question. I'm going to draw from both classes because there are important lessons in both classes that I taught around that. And to me, at the beginning, what I saw was a group of students who were successful in high school, who were comfortable with their peers and generally had some degree of comfort standing up in front of their peers and talking. What they didn't have was um, a sense of organizing their thoughts or a sense for answering questions that their peers or that their audience would be interested in hearing the answers yeah. to. So identifying questions that were meaningful. And what this process was about for me was helping them focus their research focus what they found to be important 
and sort through a, a big pile of information to pick out the stuff that's interesting. Find a way to personalize it so that there's rapport with the audience and then present it in a very succinct manner. And in the environmental science class, every day had a presentation that was two minutes long by each student, almost every day. That's awesome. And, and their homework assignment was take the species, take this habitat, go explore, go learn, go figure out about it, take pictures and come back and in two minutes or less, tell us what we need to know. Um, and at one point, I pulled out uh, one of the articles that was written about the way that Steve Jobs makes presentations, made presentations. Um, and there are seven or 11 points that someone extracted about Steve Jobs. And we found ways to incorporate most, if not all of them, into um, the presentations that we made. And it gave them some structure and some focus for Present, presenting. And during the final presentations, they got a couple comments that said, well, guys, this was really great in content, but your presentation skills are terrific. And it's it's practice, it's comfort, it's practice, it's having a reason, it's having structure, and it makes a big difference. And a last question, Ben, did, did they learn, actually second to last, did they learn science? Uh, they absolutely learned science. Yes, they absolutely learned science. They learned the material that was appropriate for the class, and it was science and natural history-based information. Yes, they learned it. And they probably will remember it beyond the test, I would bet. I'd like to think that this is the kind of learning that becomes lifelong learning, so the lifelong skill and lifelong content, and I think it sticks with people much longer than studying for a test and then walking on to the next class. I think so, too, because they care. So are you glad you, uh, you left your, your career to become a teacher, high school teacher? I am so happy teaching high school. I am thrilled to bits. <laughs> well, I'm I'm thrilled to bits for your students that you're teaching high school. And it was absolutely wonderful to hear about the phenomenal, phenomenal work that you're doing for your students. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Doris. It's a pleasure talking with you. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. For more information about our training, go to wildfire-education.org.